Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Weekly Word Podcast. I'm Chris Hout, AIM Coach, and this is episode number 92. Wow, we're quickly approaching 100 episodes. 100 episodes of me talking. How crazy is that? Well, first of all, thank you. Thank you for joining me on this journey, on this what is usually around 90 minutes of us talking ultra endurance training and racing and mindset and strategy and nutrition and fueling, but overall also the meaning of being outdoors, being healthy, being alive, reconnecting to ourselves every day as part of our training, as part of our daily journey towards that outcome, that event, that adventure, that expedition, that race that we're looking to get ready for. And truly recognizing that every day when we get this beautiful opportunity to train, it's something precious that we should treat like that, that it is precious, that we're healthy enough and fit enough and get to enjoy this like we do, even if it's on a grungy trainer in the basement. Because even after that workout, you always get up off of it and say, man, I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I did that workout. Not just to check the box on something in your training log and you know you must do it or need to do it in order to progress forward towards your goal, but you also just feel better. You feel more healthy. You feel more connected. You feel more alive. And that's what this training, uh, this training podcast, what this weekly word podcast is truly about. Going into all those details and discussing that and taking it from a perspective of all the emails and training logs and insights that you all send me and us just talking about it and taking insights from that and discussing it here and adding my 25 years of coaching ultra endurance athletes as well as you know before that coaching swimmers and just being in this sport what is now in in any of these sports what is now you know close to 45 years <clears throat> I started swimming when I was 4 so I have been active training for 45 years. <laughs> That's pretty crazy to me. And just when there's this discussion around fitness age, um, I wonder how old I truly am then. So yes, so thank you. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for taking to the time out of your day to listen to this. Hopefully, many of you listen to this while you're working out and you have an opportunity to Put this podcast on pause and just hear yourself breathing, hear yourself, hear your heart rate, feel your heart rate, feel your legs turning over, whether running or cycling, feel yourself doing the activity, sweating, breathing, inhaling, noticing how everything in your body is firing more effectively, more efficiently, the way it's designed to do. You know, I was just listening to that um, podcast with Rich where he had Wim Hof on. And he Wim Hof talks in ex, to exactly about everything that I talk about. And of course, he's a bigger personality and he has a far larger reach with regards to nature and that we have the ability in our mind and our body to do almost anything with it. The capacity to grow, to be mindful, to be connected, <clears throat> to overcome temperature changes and disease and so forth. It's all part of this incredible gift we have that's called our mind and our body. And that's the crux of this weekly word podcast, what I talk about in my little deeper sections every week. And that is 
it is an amazing tool. It is a gorgeous, amazing, unique, beautiful tool, our body and our mind. And so every day having the opportunity to tap into that, to tap into this gift of our body, of our athletic self. And that doesn't mean, again, that you're an elite athlete. It just means your athletic self, how you want to grow, how you want to be better, how you want to keep moving forward. That's your athletic self, how you approach that, how you view yourself. And that's also important, right? How do you view yourself? View yourself as an athlete because you're listening to this, you're doing some of this, and again, you're making yourself athletically better every day in some shape or form. So, um, you know, I had a, a, a bike ride today, and again, I was listening to that podcast and a variety of other things. I listened to books on tape, and I had a hard time today. Um, I was out for four hours. I'm getting ready for my coast ride, and... I left with the intention of, yes, I've had this bike ride on the calendar for a couple of days because it's the first day that it's been sunny and warm out. And I struggled. I struggled just because I couldn't clear my mind. Um, my mind was still back on the work I have to do. I have this podcast that I wanted to finish recording because I've gotten uh, about 30 minutes of it already pre-recorded or questions that came up during the week. I want to finish my newsletter. Tomorrow is December 1, so I want to get that out. I have a variety of emails and people to get back to, race plans to do. Sure, I know all my athletes are taken care of. All their training plans are in and everything that they need is taken care of. My core um, heart of what I do. But then beyond that, there's a variety of things that I had on my mind and things that I really want to put time into and pay attention to. And it's been a busy week for me. I had a visit to LA to see Rich on Tuesday and we recorded a variety of podcasts and discussed a variety of other um, adventures that we're looking to do, not as from an athletic standpoint, but him and I have some things in the works with regards to podcasts and you know, um, Mondays are always busy for me, catching up with athletes and working through that. And then, you know, there was a variety of other things this week that just made this week very busy. Um, not as fluid as usual, and it's the end of the month and so forth. So I was carrying all that into this bike ride. And I couldn't get into the flow of riding the bike. I couldn't seem to find a nice, relaxed groove. I couldn't seem to exhale right? And I know exactly what was going on in hindsight. You know, I was looking for it. I was looking to feel good. I was trying to force it. And until I could shed all these layers of so-called stress, I realized my stresses are very different and low compared to what many people, others, other people stress about. But again, it's something when we place an importance on something and we are not delivering towards it, it can create a stress. And it's important to me to get the podcast out. And it's important to me to put some quality content in the newsletter. And it's important to me to follow up with clients and athletes with questions and so forth. So Yes, it was a little bit, not stressful, but it was just, I felt guilty heading out for a four-hour bike ride, right? But on the other hand, I also know that's part of that will make be a better, um, make for a better podcast now. It will make for a better newsletter. It will make for better communication. It will make for better content. It will make, make, make better for better patience and enjoyment. 
But what I wasn't expecting is that after about two and a half to three hours, it took that long, which for me is a long time, 20, 30, 40 minutes, usually I'm able to connect with my inner self and my breathing and my heart rate and feeling everything firing properly. So that was to me a good sign that, man, I was carrying a lot of thoughts and um, external um, energy that was pushing in on me versus what I like to have internal energy, internal flame pushing out, giving um, versus internal pressure, uh, versus external pressure pushing in. So yeah, what I did not expect is after about two and a half hours and I was listening to Wim Hof and Rich talking on the podcast and a few things, and next thing you know, there it was. I wasn't looking for it and it felt great and the sun, and a clear day, and it's been raining a lot up here, so being outside, all of a sudden, a lot of gratitude came over me, a lot of um, awareness came over me, a lot of positive energy came over me, me. Um, nature, outdoors, just being able to soak it all up, all happened not at once, but it just started flowing, flowing in, into me, the outside, the nature, the fresh air, as well as heart rate and breathing and smiles all started kicking in. And I knew right then and there, I was back in balance. I had found that groove, that place that I like to be at least once a day, like I talked to all of you about, try to find that space that exhale moment, that positive energy, that connecting with your soul and opening that portal to your subconsciousness, right? To make it actually consciousness. Um, And it might not last long. Today, it only lasted about 15 minutes because I was back into my town and had to pay attention to traffic lights. And I was already thinking about the work I'm gonna do when I get home. But at least for 15 minutes about, it was there. And I was riding with that smile on my face. People riding towards me on their bike must have been like, what, what's going on with that guy? But that's what I wish for all of you. That's it. Every day, somehow, to find a few minutes to connect with that self of yours. That, that connected, that joyous, that healthy, that Um, strong and powerful self, right? The one that can exhale and feels relaxed and in the moment for a few minutes, right? Where the world is just okay. It'll all be okay. That to me is what I try to communicate with all of you. And we talked about it with Rich um, on, on Tuesday in the podcast. If I can get that message out, of those 45, 60, 90 minutes a day of which you're connecting maybe for 20, 30 minutes, right? You do that for seven days a week, you're connecting for two, three hours a week. That's phenomenal, right? And we'll grow that. It's like meditation. You become more familiar with it. You can click into it even better. 
And look at this. Like for me today, it took me two and a half hours, <laughs> two and a half hours of cycling. In, and again, I am super lucky in beautiful terrain, redwood forests and coasts and hills and green mountains and Point Reyes Station and seeing lighthouses and the whole thing. I mean, it's, it's really not um, hard to see some amazing beauty in the Bolinas Lagoon and so forth and Marshall Wall and oyster shops uh, oyster stands along the way and people shucking oysters and stuff like that so there is a lot to be thankful for in that i get to ride in some beautiful locations so what's crazy though too is that it took me two and a half hours that long in order to come out of it feeling so good about a positive day and a positive week. I mean, when when things click like that, not a question of training clicking and feeling strong and connected and powerful and the training's really working and I can take on the, no, not that one. I'm talking about where that smile comes over your face and you're just feeling really good from the inside out. It gives you also an opportunity to sort of reflect, yeah, I do have it good. It just pops, at least for me, it works this way. It just pops into your mind like, you know what, how awesome is this right now? Not only my surroundings, but I've had a great week with work. I've had a great week of training and it's beautiful weather right now, despite it raining all week. And I still got to do this and I got to do that. And, you know, seeing clients this week and getting to meet new clients down in LA and a simple trip down there. But then my, I missed my flight on the way back and coming across some great people who on a flight an hour later were super informative and we had a great conversation on the plane and the flight went by super quickly because the three of us, my two um, row mates, we're all just shooting the shit and talking and really good conversation. And I made two great new friends slash contacts had it not been for missing that flight and a, um, a customer service representative being super helpful and putting me right, right away on the next flight, no change fees, no nothing, putting me amongst these people. It was just, it was destined to be like that. And when we have time to work from the inside out, that's when all these observations and insights and stories sort of flow out again versus being caught up, which I find, again, this is what I observe, when I have outside pressures, when I have deadlines or I feel so-called stress of things I want to achieve, it pushes from the outside in and it doesn't let all those truly meaningful, soulful, powerful, energetic, positive things come to the surface. And so, yeah, that's sort of how today went. And it was just a great, um, not transformative, but a, a nice realization that when it did happen where I was like, ah, oh, wow, that's awesome. Now I feel great. And I was almost sort of bummed because... I knew I only had, you know, about three miles left on my bike ride, wishing that it would have been longer. So, yeah, that's how um, sometimes the days go, though, in that it takes that long to unwind and to clear the mind and reconnect. And so what are we going to talk about this week as we go into the podcast? So um, I tried something new this week where I did uh, 
these quick hits where I just sort of read through uh, training peaks logs and workout logs and as I'm looking through them just quickly answer or share my thoughts and observations. The other thing I wanted to go into this week is something that's near and dear to me and um, I go into a deeper explanation on what that is mainly from a charity and a contribution standpoint of you know, some of the tragedies and the difficulties that we've dealt with here in California. And I think there's an opportunity for me as a coach um, to make a small contribution or help out in some way to um, the many people as well as first responders affected by fires, shootings, mudslides, just tragedies that are happening around here. And I go into some depth about what that means and I what I plan to do. So I hope you enjoyed the podcast. I hope this all helps. I hope you can um, glean some tidbits of information out of this and in some small way that this podcast helps you get out there, get into nature, get a workout in and connect with yourself a little bit every day. I mean, if that's the only outcome and that you don't have a race or an adventure <clears throat> or an expedition or some crazy self-curated um, event that you're building for yourself, which some of my athletes have been, um, you don't need that. Maybe it's just something to get reconnected to yourself every day. And others call it meditation and they have their form of meditation. But I believe we have a tribe here, a, a group, a larger group, <laughs> a pretty large group here of athletes who take their time instead of meditating. And maybe you do both, but to spend some time with yourself and focusing on your health and being fit for service in your community, in your work, for your family, all that requires fitness. I talked about that and I wrote about that just the other day about how being fit for you know, our daily service is quite important. And what I mean by that is that our, our physical fitness, if that's covered, if we set up our physical self for the day, we're set up for all kinds of successes, career, family, self-care, right? Career, for example, if you've addressed or know that you're going to address your own fitness or your own self-care that day, because remember, some people don't train in the morning first thing. Some people might train at lunchtime or some people train in the afternoon when they get home or some people train at night. Um, but in your career, in your work, your confidence, your creativity, your energy, your clarity, your appearance, your tenacity, your discipline, your willpower, your ability to overcome obstacles, all that is set up by feeling good about your own fitness and your own progression and that you checked in on yourself or will be checking in on yourself at least once today. Because knowing that that's pending and knowing that you'll get that opportunity to hopefully exhale or that you had that opportunity yesterday and you're sort of in between the two, that's fine. That creates an incredible bond and confidence knowing that, okay, 
but at least I'll get my 60 minute run in this afternoon. At least I'll get in a bike ride. At least I'll get in a swim. At least I'll get in a core stability or strength session. At least I'll get in that hike or walk. At least I'll get in, you know, that row or that, you know, all kinds of different things that allow us to reconnect with ourselves. In the family, right? You're a better role model. You have better energy. You have more fun and self-esteem and patience and love and sexuality and acceptance and belief when you take care of yourself, when you sort of have that moment or that time every day to address your own personal fitness needs, your own fit for yourself, right? And checking in and feeling good about yourself. And that self-care helps you grow. It allows for daily reflection. As we talk about daily listening to your body, it's process-oriented. Process you know what to do, so it feels good with regards to, I executed this on the plan, and therefore I feel good about checking off that box, right? And you grow. You grow from these processes every day in self, in your physical self and your spiritual self. And it's beneficial from a longevity standpoint and a strength standpoint. I mean, we can keep going on and on on this. But as again, I, I tend to wander off on these topics, but they mean a lot to me. So enjoy this week's podcast. Enjoy number 92. And please give me any type of feedback. And yeah, have a good listen. I want to try this short, quick hits section in the Weekly Word podcast, and that is just short notes or short insights or short reactions with regards to the emails and the training peaks and workout logs updates that I get. A lot of times, the things that come in up in, up in there don't warrant a long answer or long discussion on the Weekly Word podcast, so um, I thought maybe it's helpful if you can sort of get an insight on how I react or how I read or what I think of when I'm going through these um, email updates from Training Peaks and Workout Log. I mean, you got to figure I get about ooh, 200, 180 of these a day um, because as many of my athletes know, um, when they're uh, set up on Bluetooth, especially with Training Peaks, um, that as soon as the um, unit, whether the watch or the head unit on the bike or that being the same thing, comes into a Wi-Fi signal or your network, it automatically updates the data. And then the athlete still has to go in, in and, and fill out the commentary. So I get two, sometimes even three um, emails per workout. So it does add up. So I do scan through all of them um, looking only for commentary. A lot of people might ask me, well, did you see my ride? And I say no, <laughs> because I, uh, if there's no commentary, I don't have anything to prompt me to look at it. I automatically delete those that don't have any commentary on it when there's, the field is empty. So because I, I can't spend, even with five athletes, I can't spend clicking in each time it's only a partial ride or a partial run or it was only the warm-up or this. Um, if they don't add commentary, I don't really dive into the workout or read or understand it or uh, sort of incorporate into my thinking of how I'm going to design the workout. I need commentary. 
I've had athletes in the past comment, well, I upload everything just because I didn't comment. Um, why didn't you say this? Or why didn't you contribute that? Or why didn't you share this? Well, if there's no commentary, I don't see the workout. Um, it's automatically filtered out. Some of the coaches I work with know that I set up an auto um, um, process in my email that all my training peaks and workout log updates go into a separate email folder. And then in that separate email folder, it automatically knows to look for what's populated and what's not. And so while those don't get auto deleted, the ones that don't have any commentary in it, they definitely go into a separate folder. And every now and then I double check those. Or if I'm looking at how a person raced, let's say they just raced an Ironman today or a 50K today or a, um, any type of event. Well, they haven't had a chance yet to um, put in the full commentary or their thoughts. That might take a day or two or three. But I'm curious as to the data or how it went. Well, then I'll go into that other folder, search by their name, and I'll find it and then you know, look at how the race went or what sort of unfolded from a heart rate, wattage, pace, and so forth aspect. So, but um, just an insight here into the quick hits and what I'm thinking. And, you know, let me know if you like it. If you don't, we'll, we'll lose this segment. And I'm not saying that we're going to have this every week, but sometimes it's helpful to just have some of these quick insights. For example, I just had one with regards to swimming and it talked about breathing pattern. And uh, I know you want to want me to focus on my um form and my stroke and my feel for the water, but I'm barely making the breathing pattern. So therefore, all I'm focused on is you know staying alive um, and making the breathing pattern. Well, two things on breathing pattern. And when I say breathing every seventh or every fifth or every ninth, um, I need you to slow down dramatically. That's the purpose of the breathing pattern. Um, now, shorter breathing patterns, breathing every third, every fourth, every fifth, you know, sometimes every six, but you have to pretty, pretty advanced swimmer. But three, four, five is you can do a little bit more effort into it. Um, and again, it depends on the distance. Breathing every fifth for a 200 freestyle, you have to slow way down to make that for eight lengths in a row without a break. Um, doing every fifth for a 25 or 50 um, is a different effort level. So keep that in mind. But yes, slow way down in order to uh, successfully be able to execute the breathing pattern and give yourself extra rest on the wall. Um, after that 50, after that 75, after that 100, um, make it 30 seconds rest. Make it a minute rest. This is a recovery set where I want you to usually focus on your stroke and see how you're feeling in the water. And from distance per stroke to what your feet are doing, hips are doing, body rotation, reach, all that. Slow it down and distance from entry all the way to exit and how you're pulling through the channel, all those things. And the extra rest also allows you to go to a breathing pattern that's on an odd number, right? I usually try to find five or seven in order for you to have a variety of strokes um, before you need to breathe. And when you breathe, right, your hips drop, your kick pattern often falls off, your um, flutter is different, your reach is different, your one arm has to pull through the channel differently because your shoulders are turned and so forth. So um, 
Doing that on an odd base means A, we're switching sides and giving the shoulders and the balance an opportunity, but also gives you a few strokes, left, right, left, right, in order to keep the head in that neutral position, to keep the flutter kick going balanced and truly see how a balanced stroke um, is working for you. So something that's my reaction to something like that. I also got an email here or update activity comments. Um, took it easy as I was feeling some stiffness and niggles from riding the gym spin bike too much, not set up correctly for me. I agree with that. That's correct. Um, you do want to take it very easy, um, but you shouldn't have stiffness or niggles uh, from a gym bike if you're always keeping it easy and light and um, just using it to activate um, muscle groups in regards to neuromuscular firing. So what I mean by that is a lot of times I'll have athletes do strength or core and then jump on their bike afterwards. Now, in an ideal setting, it's on a CompuTrain or a Wahoo Kicker or something ready to go right afterwards. And then you have the ability to ride in your on your bike with your setup in your position and so forth. But oftentimes this is at a gym and you're getting close, but not nearly close enough. Um, so then it's all about just pedal circles, for example, um, just getting just firing the legs to be in an easy, easy format, maybe even zero resistance or very low watts, and just turning the pedals just to, to, to remind the body neuromuscularly and how, the, how everything's firing in the chain of the cycling motion, of the pedals turning. Same thing treadmill. Um, even running downhill or neutral on the treadmill, but negative incline is great after core or strength. Again, low load, very low load on the body, but again, just firing, leg turnover, nice and light, tap, 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 tap. Another thing that I often think of about when we're running on a treadmill in the gym, you don't wanna make it super loud. If you hear yourself running loud, heavy on that thing, work in there on landing softly and making sure that that your landing is soft and that it's equal, right? Oftentimes you hear one leg landing louder than the other. Well, start making those adjustments, start figuring out what's going on there. There's a benefit to all those aspects and learning how to use every piece of equipment to your advantage to that. Things that you can't do outside, you do inside. Things that you do outside, uh, inside that you can't do outside so forth. Things that you do outside, you might never replicate inside. So don't look to take the outside indoors too much unless it's the ideal setup. And don't look to take the indoors outside too much because that's very hard to do given wind, terrain, temperatures, environment, and so forth. So what else is coming up here? Keeping cadence above 85 needs more work is a commentary. Um, yes, for newer athletes, especially cyclists in this case, because that's where cadence really comes into play, running as well, um, we want to keep in mind that your ability to hold a wattage or a heart rate at a higher cadence means that you're more efficiently able to do that resistance, that effort. And um, having it be more aerobically, heart rate, um, cardiovascularly stressed versus muscularly stressed is a great outcome that we want. Being able to spin big gears is a very important factor of your cycling ability because 
pushing a big gear at a low cadence is muscular power. And many people can do this briefly for a couple minutes, maybe even for 30 or 40 minutes. But A, their running ability is shot then, and B, the rest of their ride oftentimes is compromised with regards to power um, afterwards as well. So while we want to do that big gear work at times for strength, well, that needs to be at a completely lower cadence below 60. And so no man's land in cycling truly is between 65 and 80 cadence. Now, of course, 78 to 80, it's fine. It happens, you know, outdoors that you're riding a little bit lower, shift easier and get used to the upper 80s. Some people with longer legs or taller bodies, I ask them to slow down their cadence, use more leverage, use more power in the pedal circle because they can create more torque with those long legs. Um, shorter legs, yes, the cadence needs to be higher because we want to use the power and the lever of that. So, but 85 or above cadence is an exercise. It's a drill. It's something to practice. It's not our goal, but again, it's a drill and something to do in training so that at 82 cadence, 80 cadence, 83 cadence in racing is super efficient and a good balance between muscular power and cardiovascular power. All the wattage on a trainer feels harder. Running paces on a treadmill feels harder. I don't know why either. Um, perceived inputs and so forth and how we're paying attention to our body. Treadmill running is hard because the paces I see there and how it feels, feels terrible. Um, even at a very neutral or slight incline, which I like to run on the treadmill, but yeah, running, let's say, for me, when I'm fit, not now, um, 6.30 pace outside is, I need, yeah, I have to tighten the screws a little bit, but it's not that killer hard. Whereas on a treadmill, oh my gosh, that seems unsustainable. Similarly, on a trainer indoors, when you're riding along, especially if it's something longer, 90 minutes you can sort of get through because you're doing intervals and work, but longer steady rides, man, the wattages are frustratingly low based off of perceived exertion. And I don't know, maybe because we have stimulus outside and terrain's passing us and it works out better, I'm not sure. But either way, <laughs> it is harder indoors than outdoors. And so as we know this going into treadmill season and um, cycling on the trainer season here in North America and north, north of the equator in general, um, keep that in mind. Don't be too hard on yourself. Don't judge the workout too harshly based off of what the trainer tells you, but know that it's harder psychologically. Now, the benefits of a trainer mentally and working through it and losing yourself in time, that's the part that you want to work your way around. Same as swimming in the open ocean or a big lake, you lose the perspective of time and you think you've been swimming for 10 minutes, but actually it's only been four, <laughs> that takes a while. But after a while, you get used to it and you actually can figure it out pretty closely that, oh, have I been swimming for 14, 15 minutes? And you look down and it's, you know, 13.50. Um, so 
same thing on a trainer, same thing on a treadmill. You want to get that sense of your own internal clock and your own mind being able to shut off and go to a different place. Treadmill running, not so easy because you have to sort of pay attention to what you're doing. But on a trainer, just closing your eyes and listening to music or listening to something and letting time wander. And you just stay efficient, aerobic, arrow on your um on that trainer another quick hit it's fun going through all of these because it allows me to quickly just answer some questions and insights and observations and tips for all of you so and i can just breeze through these emails so this one talks about how i ran after a morning of interviews and needed to blow off a little steam so i didn't really do a good job of keeping it easy that's what it says in the logs that's awesome those days happen right? And a lot of what I talk about for your own training and in my coaching is there'll be days where you want to just do your thing, right? This is your choice. This is your hobby. And so while I, as a coach, provide guidance and a training plan, there's going to be days where it's just like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to go and run and feel great and blow off steam or ride harder or swim a different set or, you know, do this strength workout or play a soccer game with my buddies or a basketball game with my buddies and blow my um, lungs out because of the high intensity of it. Things like that. Totally fine. And we should want to or not want to, should feel free and comfortable with doing that. Because again, this is our hobby. I want you to enjoy it. I want you to have the fun with it with other people or also the freeing aspect of it um, on days where you just want to go run or just want to go ride or just want to listen to a podcast and not do intervals and turn your brain off and be in nature. I totally get it. So now you might say, well, Chris, so often you talk about well, don't go too hard on easy days and too easy on hard days or break the plan and stuff. Or um, just because you're feeling good, go harder that day or, or um, you know, break with the plan. What I mean by that is, of course, um, there's a balance here. Do we always want to do that? No, because then that's not really a training plan. But also, as we look at our training, we're hopefully looking at the week in a big picture perspective. And when you go out and blow out that workout and just let off some steam or just immerse yourself in nature and do something where you don't have to think about um, technique or intervals or a certain prescription, hopefully you'll have the big picture of the week in mind and therefore can get a good sense with, all right, well, I'm not too worried about it. I have an easy swim tomorrow or I have a day off of running tomorrow. So I'll recover from this run and then I'll do the intervals on Friday afternoon or something like that. Um, no training plan should be that delicate that you can't move some things around to stay within the balance and the idea of the week. And that becomes complicated, right? Because now you're going to say, well, you know, why have a detailed individual training plan? Well, a lot of my training plans work around making sure that it's a stimulus and recovery and a delicate balance in that format. 
But I also know that there's days where we can't make the workout due to work. So that turned into a recovery day. Or we need to blow off some steam and go harder. And so you, after a while, you, the athlete, know what I mean well enough that you go, all right, I ran pretty hard yesterday, or I went really easy yesterday because I just wanted to be in nature. I'm going to shuffle some things around and get in the gist of the week. And I say no training plan should be that complicated or that rigid because A, we're master's athletes and this is a hobby and it should be fun. But also, if I'm coaching you remotely, which most people do, um, having too rigid of a plan gets dangerous in my opinion. You're risking um, not seeing the athlete, not getting enough inputs, even with training logs and updates and emails and stuff like that. But just to get a real good sense of how they're responding, their mood, their body composition, all that tells us things like when you're at that level of rigid training plan, track athletes, you know, college runners, college swimmers, college anything, or at a high, high level where you then see your coach many times a day um, or at least once a day so that they also have that um observation ability, that input ability, they can see if you're irritable or if you're sleepy or if you're, and what I mean by body composition is sort of sagging shoulders or a little bit depleted. So uh, uh, tiredness and fatigue around the eyes, not that you're gaining weight that quickly um, from day to day. No, I meant it more like what your body signals are showing, right? And so that's why I think as master's athletes, given with all the other responsibilities we have in our days and lives, to have too rigid of a plan becomes a little bit too challenging. Now, don't get me wrong. There will be phases and there are phases with all my athletes where the training plan is rigid, but that's in the summer or or in competition season, I I should say. And yeah, now we're in a different place because the athlete and I are communicating with regards to, okay, these next three, four weeks, we really got to nail these workouts. We got to keep it in a good rhythm and really a lot of observation. And most of my athletes hear from me. They know that, okay, we're six weeks out. We're eight weeks out. We're 10 weeks out. I'm looking for this. Let's please communicate a lot, right? And some athletes are in a different phase. Other athletes are in a... Um, race phase. So those swings in how many emails you get or how much I'm communicating varies with different athletes at different times. So, but the quick hit here, once again, going too long for quick hits, is that yes, enjoy it. If you're feeling good that day, blow it out. Just don't compromise all your workouts like that, right? Or if you have a history of knowing that that blowing it out or going too hard or such and such, however the strategy comes up that day for the workout, um, will compromise future workouts too long or too many days, then you might want to consider it, right? Another thing to do is maybe just blow it out for a 15-20 minute stretch. That way it's nothing too crazy and you'll recover quickly from it, but it won't compromise the rest of the week. Or for example, if you're super stressed and you just want to blow out the legs and you're doing a bike workout, you know, six times 90 seconds best effort, like high wattage or something like that with high cadence, just to really get the body and everything grinding and spinning. And you know, you're just almost yelling and, and screaming while on your bike, just to let all that tension out and reconnect with your body. I find it interesting that athletes 
have a hard time keeping the heart rate low enough for zone two and are frustrated there and have a hard time getting it into or maintaining the workload in zone four. So <laughs> I see this in the logs quite frequently when I'm looking at it right now. So what that means is that we've just expanded our ability over the years to stay in one gray big zone, zone three in many cases, right? The top of zone two, the second half, but the top of zone two feels okay. All of zone three feels fine and creeping into zone four also still feels okay. So we have this big, huge general range we've trained in over the years, but we have never had any differentiation or stimulus and clarity, right? And the body loves to settle into a homeostasis, this steady state place where it can recognize what you're doing and start optimizing its other systems around it. But that's the whole concept of fartlek that when it was invented or conceived back um, by the runners and you know, for all kinds of interval training. The reason is to exactly this, stay away from that big gray zone that we always like to seem to feel comfortable and train in and stimulate the low end and the top end and more time on the low end because we can recover there and limited time in the top end, but really differentiate and really prepare the mind for the challenges of both. The mind on the high end for the effort and the grit and the push and the determination and the focus and the breathing and gutting it out and not paying attention to time. The same thing on the low end, the patience, the determination, the willpower, the trust, the ability to just stay the course, even when it seems too easy, a waste of time, walking, things like that, right? That differentiation is only going to make you a better athlete. And that's why it's so hard on the high end and too easy on the low end, because we were stuck training in the gray area. How fun is this quick hit? First time ever cross-country skiing was fun, did well technically. Great thing about doing a lot of swimming and running, taking this on for 90 minutes was possible first time around, no problem. Was hard at times, sure, but always in control of form and output and loving it. How cool is that? That's a perfect example where our overall general fitness right, of swimming and biking and running and our chassis integrity and our engine being our heart and our lungs allows us to take on these other activities and using the seasons and our environment to our advantage, right? It's snowy where he is, very snowy. <laughs> and get out there, cross-country skiing, exactly. Work the heart, work the lungs, work the arms, work the core, work the legs, work the ankles. It is such a great cross-training activity. Absolutely love it. And I love the fact that this athlete was able to recognize the steadiness of doing the other stuff. Again, the heart doesn't care what you're doing. And so he was able to just take that overall ability and strength and fitness and apply it to something brand new. Try it. You guys should all try it. So I thought it'd be fun to dive into something um, newer. And besides the other aspect that's new on this week's podcast with regards to the quick hits, um, 
I also thought it'd be fun or helpful to go through some race plans as they're coming up for athletes, um, whether it's for a marathon, a 50K, a 100 miler, a 70.3, an Ironman, a multi-day expedition, and so forth, and sort of share with you what I'm looking for and what the thought process is, but also how we can all learn from each other. And so, for example, I have, this weekend is a pretty big local race, a California International Marathon, CIM it's called, it's up in Sacramento, and a lot of people like to pick up a marathon at this time of year in order just to test their fitness or work on some pacing or some training with regards to the marathon whether they're getting ready for longer distances with regards to a 50K or a 50-miler or a 100-miler or 100K, or they're working on some of their um, Ironman skills. Of course, there's athletes who are also growing and building to a marathon, and this might be their first marathon. So in that case, it's also the culmination of their season right now, this first weekend in December. And this is, in this case, this athlete that I'm um, about to go into her race plan. But the other thing to keep in mind is why uh, Sacramento is quite popular is because it's cooler time of year here in California and um, temperatures in the upper 40s to start, pretty flat course, neck downhill, and a lot of people like to use it as their um, uh, Boston qualifier. It's quite a fast race. But on the other hand, you're also dealing with California winters. So many years, it's also super rainy and super windy and just miserable out there. So it's hit or miss. And it looks like this weekend's just going to be perfectly sunny, mid-50s, gorgeous weather. So, um, you know, I'm going to keep these race plans, pre-race plans, sort of uh, obviously anonymous. I don't want to embarrass the person, but... Um, I've thought a lot about Sunday and I'm excited to share them with you. This week I've gotten at least eight hours of sleep every night and had a massage on Wednesday and have been drinking tons of water. Now, don't drink too much water. Again, when we drink too much water, we flush out our system and um, we a lot of the nutrients and minerals that we have in our body just keep getting flushed out. Now, you don't necessarily create a standard where you don't have any nutrients or minerals in you, but it just compromises it ever so gently. And something, especially from a mineral standpoint, we don't want to do too much of, especially for the stress of an event, of a race. So um, I'm making sure that I'm not changing too much about how and much I'm eating this week. I know that the training is there and that I need to trust my bo- that my body is prepare- prepared. I've been working through a lot of nerves about setting a concrete goal for timing and pacing because of how vulnerable it makes me feel, and I already have a tendency to overthink things when numbers are involved. Again, not a lot of experience in marathoning, so why overthink this and put ourselves into a box, right? What I will recommend to her as um, I write back to her will be a lot of, well, How about you just enjoy your fitness up until a certain point and then check the clock versus going by a clock standard very early on in a race and being set in this very um, specific black or white standard, right? Holding a certain pace, for example. Either you are or you aren't. And while there's plenty of athletes who are capable of 
not judging themselves or putting too much pressure on themselves when they see paces, most of us struggle with that because you either are holding the pace and you're feeling good about yourself and, oh, that's, this, it's going well, or you're not. And then things start derailing a little bit. Our brain just sees that it's not quite doing what we had set forth to do. And therefore, the likelihood of successfully doing the remainder of the distance, because it is an endurance event, it's not like these are 40 seconds, 20 seconds, 10 second events. Um, The remainder of the time, then there's still that lingering doubt. You're doing it more by seeing each mile and almost wondering and questioning, how am I doing now? How am I doing now? When you check the mile splits versus allowing the race to unfold and you're being relaxed and enjoying it and going on perceived exertion and feel and um, leg turnover and effort, right? Where you feel, okay, I could probably run a bit harder, but this feels like a really good 90% or 85% effort and I will hold it here and I will save some in the bank so that you have sort of a, a mindset that isn't wrapped around perfection or disappointment. So um, a tendency to overthink things when numbers are involved. Yes, we all have a tendency to do that. But I perform best when I have a goal and plan and how to execute it. After all, my initial plan for this race was not was never just to finish. It was to see what my body was capable of doing. I totally agree with that. And goals... I would, I've, I've gotten better about this by changing my wording from goals to intentions. Um, intentions still carries that this is what we intend to do. This is our desired outcome, right? But if it's not going that way, we're still doing our best. We're doing what we intended to do. When we say goals, I find it brings so much, um, again, um, Either you did or you didn't around that, right? Unless you define the goals in a pretty broad sense. So um, seeing what my body was capable of doing. I need some guidance on pacing because I know the goal is not to slow down. Run the second half as fast, ideally slightly faster than the first half. Now let me say something right there. It is very important for all endurance athletes to understand that negative splitting any distance, whether it's a bike ride, whether it's a marathon, whether it's a half marathon, um, whether it's a swim, you know, with many loops, is unrealistic. And if it, it becomes realistic, you went too slow and you have the capability of going a lot faster. The concept of negative splitting is a training concept. And while some coaches might disagree with me on this, I'm a very strong believer that negative splitting in racing means you left time on the table. That means you took it out too slow. And you are not putting your best potential athletic self forward. And it frustrates me, not in this case, and I'm not frustrated, but it frustrates me when I see a lot of it around or out there, that people have this image that they can, in an endurance event, negative split. Heck, I don't even think you should be negative splitting if you're running the mile. But um, again, there it's different with pacing and with what your strengths are 
and how you race race in the mile, for example. But for something that is hour and a half to four to five to six hours long, negative splitting is unrealistic. Why do I say that? That's because it's an endurance event. There's going to be fatigue. There's going to be muscle breakdown and its ability to expand and contract not as effective. There's going to be load and impact by pavement or whatever the stressor is, whether it's swimming on the shoulders and fatigue there and cycling on force and pedal stroke and wattage. Just doing an activity for a longer period of time, over 60, 70, 80 minutes, will mean that later on, those muscles, that strength, that energy will not be at the same level it was before, no matter how slow you go. So that's unrealistic. I mean, of course, there is a super slow, there's a tipping point, but we all know, you know, definitely you know as the athlete that that's usually too slow, where you feel you're holding back that much just in order to negative split it. Now, it's good in training to work on our pacing and understanding of time, but not in racing. The other component to keep in mind is our energy levels from a glycogen standpoint and how our body works with regards to its energy sources during our endurance events has also been depleted. All just completely naturally, not because you've gone too hard, but because that's how the body works. And so asking it to go faster despite that muscular fatigue, even though it was easy, you're starting from an emptier point. Your glycogen stores are just not going to be as high at that point in an event as when you started because you're not going to be able to replenish one for one calorie-wise and so forth. So again, you would have to go so easy that your caloric burn and your energy burn along with muscular fatigue is so low that yes, you can go faster on the second half. But again, you leave time on the table. I always say that in a marathon, a pl within 10 minutes, positive split is a pretty good pace day. Like you've done really well, if that's the case, within, let's say, seven minutes. So let's say you do a 307 marathon. I would say taking it out in 130 and coming back in 137, that's pretty close. I mean, that's pretty good to do it even tighter than that. You know, again, I would wonder if taking it out then at 128 and coming back in a 136, well, 137, um, or even 138, it still nets you two minutes faster right? So we have to understand what works best for us versus a blanket strategy of negative splitting as well. So that's the third factor, knowing how you race and knowing what's a natural drop off for you along with your fitness levels and so forth. It all becomes very specific and individual. Now you might say, well, Chris, you say, don't slow down. Well, yes, the purpose of an endurance event is not to slow down too much, but I'm not saying that you, A, will, not, will negative split, therefore. B, the purpose is to, not, is to slow down less than your competitors, right? To be less taxed and less fatigued than those and your peers around you so that your results and your sensations and your movement through the field feels better than others, and therefore, you are having a very positive experience. But um, that is always brought up in the context of slowing down less, being part of a racing component where you're going to try to beat other people. 
And many of us are not in that place when it comes to a 50K or a marathon in this case, or some of the races. We're not looking to win or get top three or top five. We're looking to have a respectable time or finish or just finish. And so therefore the not slowing down strategy is helpful from a mindset standpoint and reducing the damage of going to walking and so forth versus trying to beat somebody. So keep that in mind. Um, I need some good. Uh, my goal pace is X and the race is neck downhill, but I'm not sure if I should run the whole race at that pace or slow start, get faster. I will, of course, send her a detailed race plan. And a lot of that revolves around heart rate and sensations first and then goal pace. Um, are the miles miles I purposefully run slower or faster than goal pace right now? Okay, so... Those are the questions that she has. And then her timeline, morning of race day, she breaks down her breakfast. She breaks down her logistics and so forth. Her race plan so far, the way she is. She wants to listen to a book on tape while she's racing. I will try to convince her not to do that. Um, yeah, look at, listen to stay engaged, get in the zone, try not to check Garmin too much because enough. All right, so she's already on the idea of allowing it to come to her and then switching over in the second half of the race to really having to focus and work hard towards that. So I will leave this race plan as is and not dive into it too much further because now it gets a little bit personal slash um creeps into details and I don't want to bore you all with that but hopefully that was helpful especially with regards to the negative um, splitting all right let's answer some questions this week that I got with email and continue to work through that list database of questions that I want to make sure I'm getting back to everybody and in most cases the feedback has been that it's been quite helpful um, hi, Chris. Thanks for all you do on the podcast. Uh, I completed my half marathon in 210, which I was happy with. I probably pushed too hard, if anything, as the last three miles were really tough and my pace dropped off. It rained the whole time, so my legs got cold and my quad seized up. Yes, that is brutal, especially on pavement, right? Um, the wear and tear on our body later in pavement runs is... Uh, is exponentially higher. And that's why many of you know I use double runs in order to lighten the pounding on our pavement legs for a lot of marathon training and beyond. Um, well, most marathon, beyond marathon distances are not on pavement. So that becomes a different equation then. But for marathon training, yes, I'm a big proponent of double runs just because of that aspect, as well as your ability to run well, um, despite being fatigued and so forth. But that's not the question. Um, if I could ask a further question, it would be how many miles a week should I run in order to be able to keep my pace for the whole 13 miles? As I, find, as I find I'm okay for 60 to 90 minutes, but then I really struggle. Well, I wouldn't necessarily go by miles, um, and most of my athletes know this. I don't coach by miles, rarely. I mean, you have to be a pretty advanced um, athlete of mine or have a, a history of having displayed good resilience and lack of injury on pavement so that we start going into mileage work. 
Um, it's usually your second or third marathon with me that I then graduate the athlete into mileage work and totally different type of training. Most of my training is definitely progressive with regards to education, with regards to injury prevention, with regards to results, with regards to resilience, durability. Um, so my athletes, I surely want them to um, get through certain phases and seasons with me so that we can start pushing the envelope more and more. And don't get me wrong, I have made the mistake of pushing athletes too early to, um, without the proper um, gradual buildup, and I have regretted it. I've made some stupid mistakes because I've given in to the, the needs or the, the desires of the athlete. And despite my best knowledge not to, you know, the athlete is technically the client, the customer. So I wanted to satisfy them. And that's where I have gotten better, hopefully, of sticking to my guns of, you know what, then I can't help you. So, but anyway, to answer this question, so if you're a two hour runner, yeah, we want to start building up the endurance past two hours, of course, right? So longer, slower runs, maybe even trails on dirt or towpaths or something like that, or grass, if it's available. Most people don't have grass for that many miles or distance, um, where you build up, you know, easy to two and a half, 220, 215, nothing dramatic. And then, yeah, you want to be able to uh, sprinkle in some speed work late. So let's say you're out on a 90 or, or a 100 minute run. So you run the first uh, 70 minutes, maybe 60 minutes, 70 minutes at a comfortable pace, um, good form, good technique, good bounce, good um, footwork. And then you dial up your half marathon goal pace, or maybe even slightly faster. I like to stay away from exactly goal pace, because I like to play around the edges. So in this case, if your goal pace is nine minute miles, so then maybe you dial it up to 845s and then recover at 930s, 945. Um, so let's say after 70 minutes, maybe you say, all right, now I'm going to do four, uh, three times or four times one mile with a 30 second walk where I'm doing 845 pace, right? So again, getting your body ready for those pace miles late in a run. Um, so now you've done your long, slow distance endurance with a two and a half to 220 run on trails, soft terrain. You're not caring about pace. You just want the engine going for two and a half hours for that, right? The heart just beating steadily so that it has the endurance. Now you're going to build up the resilience with the run of the 70 minutes plus, you know, 30, 40 minutes at race pace or slightly faster. And then you want to do some speed play work where let's say you do some build miles. So let's you do let's say you do three times one mile. And excuse me, three times three miles in a workout. Right? This is maybe the third workout that you do. You might want to build this up to three times uh, two miles, then three times three miles, and then finally maybe three times four miles. And each one of those sections is progressive. So in the first example, you do three times two miles with lots of rest in between, easy jogging, where you buy, where you run the second mile first, faster than the first mile. Then you want to over uh, maybe two, three, four weeks later, run three times three miles, where again, the miles get faster in the three mile stretch, and you do that three times through that cycle. So yeah, you're getting nine miles of 
building speed runs in along with the easy miles in between and warm up, warm down. I mean, this is going to end up being a 12, 13, 14 mile run. So that's why I said two, three weeks later, you want to be able to adequately recover and do all your other endurance training work and speed work and leg turnover work in between. And then finally, you're getting to this major um, race sim workout where you could do three times four mile builds, right? Let's say you start easy, then the ones the next one's a little bit faster, third one's even faster. And the fourth mile of the four mile build is let's say 10, 15 seconds faster than your half marathon goal pace. Now you're really fit. And there the, the gaps between the three times four mile blocks is limited, maybe a half a mile, or maybe, you know, two minutes of easy running, because right, that next start of the four miles is going to start pretty easy again. So you're not taxing yourself right away back into the next round interval. But that just continues to uh, a hone your ability to find paces on feel and observing and leg turmo, but also allows you to just build that resilience and endurance at the same time, and you're still getting in 14, 15 miles and so forth. Um, as you hear, I'm a big believer in being over-prepared for the goals and the intentions and the desired outcomes that we have. And so therefore, the volume is often a lot higher so that you feel like you can attack the distance a lot better, especially with these shorter events. Now, you can't attack an ultra-endurance event. You can't attack a marathon or a 50K or an Ironman or a 70.3. But again, the more you learn with regards to pacing and leg turnover and posture and how you're feeling while you're running, the better you can click into that. Your subconscious just takes over and recognizes that pattern, that leg turnover, that bounce, that technique, and so forth. And so that pattern recognition and your body being able to settle into and sink into it almost naturally because you've done it enough allows for you to definitely have that strength late in your longer run. So I hope that helps. All right, this next listener question is actually a follow-up from a first-time listener question of the same person. Hi, Chris. I feel bad about sending you that long-winded email. I'm post-race now. The race went great. I ran easy and relaxed and finished feeling very strong. Awesome. The niggles resolved themselves with some rehab and taper. Obviously, I'm itching to do another 50K and push a little harder this time. I don't want to spend too much time um, going over the last email and what we answered and what we went into there. So I'm going to just keep pushing through here. To spare you the pain of reading this first email, I'm resending my question. Oops. Maybe I didn't answer the question. I would love if you could explain a little bit more on your podcast about bookmarking running fitness. For example, if I wanted to focus on CrossFit, weights and fast cardio, jumping rope, rowing, box jumps, aerobic bike, etc., from November to March, so right now, how much running would I need to be doing during this period in order to resume running regularly in March? The primary goal is being to A, not overload my tendons when I start running again, since I'm prone, prone to tendon injuries, B, being marathon or 50K ready by July slash September, C, minimize running in the Canadian winter. Following a training plan is easy, but I find nav navigating around the non-training periods 
is confusing and unmotivating. Thank you for your time. All right, so this is a good question, and um, let's dive into it. So bookmarking running fitness. Well, so first of all, we all make progress, and we feel really good about our having made that progress and trained through it, and then having our event and doing well in our event and not wanting to give up on that fitness. That's very hard, yes. Motivationally, just the high, feeling strong and fit and connected and having the validation of actually doing it in an event makes us feel extra good. Now we want to train more, right? So kudos to her already of saying, all right, you know what, that was all good and nice, but now the Canadian winner is coming. I know I have to change my routine. It's just not motivating to run indoors all winter. I want to do different stuff. I love CrossFit for six to 12 to eight, uh, 12 to eight to 12 weeks because, again, it, you, it's a lot of um, full body strength, <clears throat> a lot of different muscle groups. It's more explosive and uses different intensity levels for sure versus a lot of long running and aerobic activity that we do in what we're talking about here, ultra endurance training. It allows the body to get a break from the aerobic training and focus on different muscle groups and explosive power and so forth. What I would definitely recommend, though, is after a CrossFit section, session, um, go for a 30-minute run. Easy. Just nothing with too much intensity because CrossFit often required that intensity with some sprints or some shuttles or some things like that or some bursts or some jumps and squats and so forth. So go for an easy 30-minute run post-crossfit, post-strength, post any type of core or stability work that you're doing, not just you, in this case the listener, but everybody. And recruit the muscles that you just fatigued, stay connected neuromuscularly as well as mentally with the running form and motion, do it somewhat tired, and 30 minutes is not asking too much, and it feels longer than it really does because A, our time tolerance has changed because we're no longer running that frequently and long, and B, we're tired from the CrossFit. So I'm a big fan of that. I would say just stay connected with your running form. It will come back quickly. And of course, we have to give something up if we're doing this. But once you have fitness and maintain some sort of cross-training and fitness, as well as this 30, 40-minute runs here, um, twice a week, let's say, um, you are not letting go too much of fitness and it will come back way quicker than what you had to build the first time through. And that season after season, the fitness comes back surprisingly quick. Two, three weeks um, is the fastest usually, um, but four, five, six weeks, you're right back to usually close to where you left off at peak. So no, there is a progression through it. I love jump rope, rowing, box jumps, aerodyne bikes, and stuff like that. Yeah, just do things differently. Again, on the one hand, I don't want to discount that we're all focused on our events, but I also want to highlight that we should be having fun and variety and interest and motivation to do it, right? And by doing different things in the winter, especially Canadian winter, some, again, environment and conditions that we're stuck with, right? Stuck not necessarily in a negative way, but stuck that, okay, we have cold, snowy winters here. I'm going to skate ski. I'm going to downhill ski. I'm going to do gym work. I'm going to swim more because oftentimes in those locations, swimming is indoors. Um, things like that so that you don't have to grind yourself 
through the winter. But again, some aerobic activity every, um, not every day, every week would be very helpful while you're doing CrossFit because um, you want to continue to recruit that, that, that metabolic engine of fat burning aerobic go along. So what I have a lot of my athletes do is they go through a strength phase, an explosive and fast cardio phase, but then, you know, on a Sunday, we'll go for a 90 minute easy trail run. We'll go for a three minute, three minute, three hour easy bike ride. You know, no wattages, no heart rate, just go out and ride, just enjoy yourself. Don't overthink it, but just keep that, that low heart rate engine, somewhat connected, familiar with what it's doing. And a healthy balance of that works out great. I've never found anybody to be too far off the back because of this type of mixing up the routine. Um, what am I currently doing? You know, it's it's uh, December 1 here today. Um, so just finished November. I do one of the three sports basically every day. And I'm doing some strength and some core and some stability work as well. Um, it's hunting season here. Yes, I do hunt. And, um, you know, from that perspective, I'm outdoors a lot. I have a lot of long hikes with my dogs because, you know, very rarely do I come across anything to hunt, but it's time outdoors in nature where nobody can, um, you know, where nobody is around. And those are long aerobic exercises, you know, hunting four, five, six, seven hours, you know, carrying a backpack and dogs, not carrying the dogs, but all of us hiking and fast walking it, you know, it's an aerobic activity. And in many cases, it's nonstop and it's climbing over rocks and upside of hills and so forth. And then either lugging something heavier back, a couple of birds or not. But the point is, it's just doing different activities so that come December and January and, and the season, I'm excited and um, really looking forward to engaging back into the activities that I really enjoy like cycling outdoors and running trails and so forth. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't overthink that. I think staying connected to our fitness with some, um, aerobic activity, staying, um, using different muscle groups and doing strength work is all beneficial. So yeah, you can, I'm not necessarily thinking that you can bookmark fitness, but you surely can stay connected well enough that you can reconnect and re-engage to the previous to your best day fitness pretty quickly. Um, best day of that previous season fitness. So I hope that helps. And finally this week, I wanted to bring up something that is near and dear to my heart after seeing all the fires and mudslides and damage to our countryside and the shootings in Thousand Oaks and so forth over the last few weeks here in California. And I realized that the mudslide was last year, but there's been a lot going on with regards to tragedy and really difficult times for people around here in California. We had fires up in Northern California in Redding, where just like the Paradise the campfire came ravaging through way too hot, way too quick, 
ambers, high winds, and just destroying neighborhoods. Santa Rosa fires in Fountain Grove last year, same concept. And then, of course, this terrible one in Butte County and Paradise called the Campfire. Then we had Malibu with its fire and being down there this week and seeing Rich and how close it came to not only his house, but the fire lines and the the red um, dirt all over as you drive up the canyons from where the helicopters drop the fire retardant and then seeing the damage it did by pushing straight down to the beach across those canyons and over those mountains and the winds and the ambers and the the melted fence posts and vehicles it is insane to see that and so last about three weeks ago two weeks ago i sent out an email to my coast ride um, interested parties and said you know this year i'd also like to do something that we do a coast ride jersey cycling jersey that every participant gets and i would like to use that um, as Uh, raising funds for this devastation that happened along basically a lot of the route that we ride. The coast ride goes from San Francisco to San Diego, and we pass through a variety of areas that have been devastated or affected traumatically from these fires and so forth. So for example, we pass right through Thousand Oaks where the shootings and the fires were. We passed through Malibu for the past 15 years, 20 years on this coast ride, right down to where the fires were. We passed through Carpinteria, where the mudslides took out so many homes this past spring and the fires the year before and the damage that caused. We literally stop with our um, sag stop on the coast ride at one of the underpasses where there's a great surf spot as well where that was completely gone it was completely buried in mud and home debris and cars and just total destruction you couldn't even see the 101 let alone that it was an overpass let alone that there's a tunnel and a parking lot and an exit and all that so a lot of our coast ride goes through these communities. North of us, Santa Rosa Fountain Grove is where my camp was last year. We passed that and we see that devastation. We've had um, group dinners there because of, um, as we're going to and from um, camp rides or camp locations or camp open water swims. And so all around us here, is where these fires and this devastation has affected us. Now, most people would think that the proceeds to the Jersey and the charity aspect of it would go to the victims of the fires. But I feel that there's a lot of attention and um, support and more funds coming their way than the little proceeds difference impact that I can make or we can make sorry we can make with these cycling jerseys but there are some ways that I feel we can make an impact and that is on the one hand I'd love to um, recognize and support the first responders and firefighters that 
have these incredibly different duties now of their seasons being longer, fighting fires that are completely different, and um, dealing with endurance activities of their own, of staying on these front lines of these huge acreage fires and defending homes and property and people and animals and pets and putting their life on the line constantly to do their job, right? These are wildfire fighters and, and, and usually in from the forest service and so forth. Here they are thrust into suburban locations and working day and night and long shifts and many fires every summer in order to be there for us. And many might claim, well, that's their job. Well, there's nothing normal about the job and the risk they take and above and beyond that they do. And so that's the aspect that I was thinking of. And first responders, of course, too. I mean, the firefighters, the uh, um, EMS workers, the policemen, the, uh, the, the ambulance driver, everybody out there that keeps this damage from going even worse and the tragedy growing even further and putting again their lives on the line going into fires right driving these bulldozers through fires to help get first responders to people to save them right or you know the first responders in these shootings and going into buildings and driving up to locations in order to help a, people leave and get out, but also not knowing if they're still an active shooter and still putting their, their life on the line to do their duty. And those are the people I want to recognize. But, and, and not that they're overlooked, but I feel in my industry of endurance coaching that we can make a difference there. Because a lot of firefighters and first responders do what we do. They run marathons. They do 50Ks in trail runs. They do 70.3s in Ironmans. And so what I'd love to do is raise awareness and funding from our Coast Ride jerseys and cycling jerseys that I will sell to everybody because the feedback was when I sent out that email, I can't make the Coast Ride, but I would love to buy a jersey and support the cause. And that was just awesome. And I got a lot of great feedback from that. And then I started asking some more people and they said, yes, absolutely, how can we help? And it is a perfect example of, yes, this is currently prevalent and in the front of the news, but I feel in January and February where the firefighters and first responders, but especially the firefighters, have some downtime, have some exhale time, have some time to themselves, being able to offer them coaching, uh, scholarships for camp or free camp um, entries, free coast ride entries, even if there's enough of the firefighters that sign up, that will create a sign up page or some sort of way for them to communicate with me, that they we, we do a camp specifically for them, right? I'd love to have them at my camps, because to mingle with other athletes and for us to show our appreciation and gratitude um, for them, it would also, I think, be quite powerful. But I think if we raise a fair amount of proceeds, and it's all 100% going to this charitable account, which one of my athletes and friends is helping me set up so that um, a lot of the cycling 
jersey cost will be quite low because they too, the company, is willing to um, support the cause. The designer of the cycling jersey, um, who I've already worked with and talked to, is going to put together something along the lines of that theme of the California coast and fires and locations and the map of the coast ride and make it really cool looking, which of course, once it's available, I'll share. But the proceeds of all this that we create an account whereby um, we hopefully raise enough money to not only that I offer free coaching to them, and that's not a question of me getting paid for that, but that's me coaching them for free, but put to, putting together a package where they can do um, a training camp, where they can hopefully join the Coast Ride, because I pay other people in order to um, come on the Coast Ride, uh, as in support and SAG and, and so forth, and hotels that we get them funded for that. But also, maybe if we can get enough momentum behind this pay for their entry for an Ironman or a 70.3 or their next trail race and so forth in our name, in our honor for them and our appreciation for them. Because again, I think because of these long firefighting seasons and how how long they're stationed in other places and not at home, I don't think they can train properly. Their time is limited for training as well. Just like all of us dealing with the same issues, right? Uh, maximizing the limited training time that we have. And in this case, these guys as well. And what are they doing? Because Why is their time limited? Because in many cases, they're fighting fires, doing their job for us, right? Bigger fires, hotter fires, more dangerous fires, um, stretched resources because there's more fires across the state, across the West. Now they have to work more hours, you know, from these firefighters, from the smoke jumpers that I know and a variety of others that I've actually worked with in the past as well, um, their exhaustion and the days they need to recover from fighting fires like this for weeks on end, it takes also weeks. It's an ultra endurance event. And you guys have all heard me talk about that in the past here on the podcast, that these are truly heroes, but also ultra endurance athletes to put themselves into that environment, those temperatures, those suits that they wear, that um, that stress, that load day after day, lack of sleep, lack of energy and so forth. And yes, they're well taken care of, but they're constantly called to action. It's constant. You think three days of Ultraman, these guys are on like, you know, 21 days of Ultraman and just day after day getting up, getting it done, working hard for us for us truly to protect us. They signed up originally, a lot of these guys, for a job that was in a national park or in the U.S. Forest Service, right? And But yet they're being stretched or asked to go to locations where these fires are now approaching suburban and truly urban areas. Santa Rosa, Malibu, um, Ventura, those are urban areas. If you see where these fires went through in Malibu, it is completely residential neighborhoods. And so, again, I'm not final yet on how this will unfold, but I wanted all of you, my supporters in the sense of this podcast, to know that I am working on something. I'm excited to share it with all of you and to have some sort of impact. And here's my request. Here's my ask 
not only that you buy the jersey when it's time, of course, because I believe that we'll have a good $100 or more profit per jersey so that if we can sell a bunch of these jerseys and raise ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 for these firefighters and then get the word out to them that we'd like to support them, I think it would be awesome. But my ask to you is, what else? What? How can? How do you see this unfolding? How can I do this? How can I offer my expertise, my craft, which is coaching endurance athletes? That's all I can really do, to gather together this cause and this appreciation and this recognition of these first responders in any aspect, um, in these communities, whether it's Santa Rosa, whether it's Reading, the fires outside of Reading, um, whether it's um, Paradise and um, Chico and the work they've done there, whether it's Thousand Oaks and those first responders who are double impacted, first one day with the shootings, then the next day the fire started there. I mean, it's crazy. And then Malibu. If you have ideas of how how else, because I'm not final on how this might work. Um, and again, this is not to benefit me in any way. This is for us as a group, as a, as a tribe, as a community to show our appreciation. I think it's a small gesture and I'll do the legwork with my friends and athletes and many of you who have offered to help to get this and, and, and publicly hold, be held accountable to how we help them and support them. But those are some of the ideas I have around the proceeds. And if you have suggestions, if you have ideas, or if you have past experience with regards to firefighters and first responders and how we can help them and how we can recognize them for their going above and beyond the call of duty all the time. Again, lives, lives on the line, right? They risk everything. And these guys have risked everything. We have not had a summer where firefighters are not dying because again, yes, they're doing their job, but yes, this is not what they signed up for. This type of overload, this type of work, this type of stress, and they are heroes, but I would love to recognize them. So um, yeah, if you wanted to share or let me know or send me an email or please reach out because I'm looking for ideas because I think it's important and yes, I have the coast ride coming up in January and it's going to be great. And but I'd love to already start the process there of having those jerseys and having that awareness and having some coverage around that, that as we ride down the coast, all 25 of us, plus the support staff that were a, a walk, a, a walking, a riding cycling banner to that cause that appreciation and in those communities also maybe taking an afternoon or taking an hour and talking to those firefighters and thanking them as we ride through Thousand Oaks, maybe stopping there as we ride through Malibu, stopping there. Maybe, you know, because all these uh, fire stations up in the mountains and so forth of Malibu and Thousand Oaks and so forth, there, I mean, there's like five or six or seven different fire stations there. So riding through that would be, um, powerful as well. So that's what it looks like. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm vulnerably sharing all of this. I say the vulnerable part because I am um, not very familiar in this aspect of work. 
and I just know that I want to do something. And I have the resources of some really good um, cycling apparel companies. I have a really cool designer of cycling jerseys who is in our industry. He's a former Ironman, a legend in the sport himself. And I also have a platform. And so combining that, I know I want to do something for those guys and girls that do this stuff. I mean, I saw a picture, and I know I'm carrying on here, of a sheriff in paradise of that county, Butte County, and his daughter directing traffic as the flames were flying around them. He's the sheriff. She's a um, a first responder in that town. And here they are saying goodbye to each other. I think it was a New York Times article I saw about that. Um, he had other responsibilities to do. He gave her a hug as she's directing traffic amongst these flames. And it's crazy. And not knowing if he was ever going to see her again. Right? And there they are doing their job. Helping others escape this fast-moving, dangerous, wind-shifting fire. Right? And having to give your daughter a hug and a kiss and say, I hope to see you later. Be safe and driving off as the flames are just shooting up all around her and she continues to direct traffic. I mean, again, that stuff is just so powerful and above and beyond um, what, um, what, what, what I think, I believe, emotionally, they sign up for, right? Um, and it's just pure humanity. I mean, they are truly special humans, so... Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for bearing with me through this piece um, on the podcast and sharing this with you. And I'm, I'm really hopeful and excited to hear from all of you maybe some ideas and suggestions. I've reached out to a variety of different people that have a big, bigger platform than me um, to also support me. Um, and once we get this organized and have a clear mission as in directive with regards to the funds um, and that will be in a charitable 100% um, nonprofit account that can go to these communities. Um, I will have more details and I'll be pushing that out to those guys and girls as well with regards to their platforms and maybe helping us raise even more money to it. So have a great week, everybody. It's December 1. It's my birthday tomorrow. I know I'm one of those people who <laughs> celebrates his birthday loudly. I let everybody know it's my birthday. I'm not big on Christmas. I'm sort of a Grinch. My kids give me a hard time. I'm not big on Thanksgiving and Easter and all the other holidays. But my birthday, that's the one I really <laughs> let, let everybody hear about and know about. And I love celebrating it. So tomorrow is December 2nd. 49 years ago, I was born. And um, it was at one something in the in the morning. And uh, yeah, I am looking forward to celebrating it with all my kids, four of them, and my lovely better half. And we're going to just have a really fun day. And uh, yeah, so <laughs> I thought I'd throw that in there. I know, completely selfish and talking about celebrating me, but you know. <laughs> it's part of my personality which cracks me up anyway um have a great week everybody as we enter december and we're 
in the midst of the holidays and understanding the stress around that. My weekly, um, my weekly word newsletter covers some of the nutrition aspects during the holidays right now and a variety of other things with um, favorite workouts, with regards to training at this time of year and so forth. So if you want that, um, you can go online, aimcoaching.com and sign up for the newsletter. It's on the newsletter page. And um, yeah, as always, thank you so much you guys mean a lot to me, that fact that you listen through 92 episodes of my voice and are willing to hear the tidbits and receive the tidbits that I am sharing. And again, my outcome is 100% that you get some value out of this in order to navigate your busy lives and are able to maintain the ultra endurance lifestyle and the health benefits and the joy and the fun and the creativity and the vitality from it. And that I am able to contribute in a small way towards helping you do that. So have a great week. And yeah, I'll talk to you guys next week.